the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back once again. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for joining us this week. On the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you are going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of this movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies to stay ahead of the curve in your marketing operations and technology. This is episode number 141. We're now in season four, which is all about digital innovation and career guidance. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but one resource that we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health Content Network, which is an influential thought leadership platform that currently includes 26 podcasts and video series. One of my favorite series on Shift.Health is The Resilience Journey. This series was created for everyone who's struggling with an unexpected job change, a derailed career plan, or unfulfilling work. Join me as I uncover the unexpected moments in the career journeys of admirable leaders by digging into the moments in their careers that we don't often hear about. The first season's free and available on demand, so go subscribe and check that out. Okay, so here's what's going to go down today. We've got the flavor of the week about what I've learned from the HCIC community this year. Then speaking of the resilience journey, the rest of today's program is an encore interview from that series featuring Linda McCracken from Accenture and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. In both roles, Linda has a window into the challenges of both younger and more seasoned professionals and how they make successful career choices when things don't go their way. What I enjoyed the most from speaking with Linda was her explanation that a job is not about a boss. It's about who will give you the most money to do what you love to do. I think you'll enjoy hearing how she discovered the way to power her career by her values, and she'll share what she did earlier in her career when she discovered that an organization did not match those values. Okay, it's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. I've learned a lot from healthcare marketing friends and colleagues this year. So much so that I'd suggest the second C in HCIC doesn't just stand for conference, but also stands for community. Many of those lessons came while creating the video interview series for Greystone.net called Healthcare Digital Marketing Essentials. And I can't help but look back fondly and realize what a blessing it is to be a part of this tribe. Here are some of the things I learned while creating that series. From Greystone's own Mike Schneider, I learned how to focus on the positives of working in healthcare marketing and to keep your chin up. Even in 2020, there were reasons to celebrate the accomplishments of our industry. 
from Andy Gradle at Walters Kluwer Health, I learned how digital teams have stepped up during the pandemic to provide a crucial service for their health systems. It's been no small task to stand up COVID microsites and work content updates for 14 hours a day for weeks on end. From Lee AC at the Mayo Clinic, I learned how to connect during the chaos by keeping internal team communications a highest priority and providing the highest levels of service in connecting patients in their communities. From Drew Diskin, I learned the importance of MarTech in everything that we do. Patient engagement doesn't happen today without a thorough understanding of the tools that make it effective. From Amanda Todorovic at Cleveland Clinic, I've learned to have empathy for everyone. Listening, connecting, and adapting has been essential qualities for gaining empathy for our consumers, our frontline workers, and everyone in the healthcare digital community. From Aaron Watkins at Johns Hopkins, I learned how to build trust with data. Whether for internal or external audiences, we use data to tell stories and create consensus to move ahead. From Carrie Lichen at Yext, I learned to have a sense of urgency in becoming data czars rather than staying data dinosaurs. This is the main way that we as marketers can position ourselves to lead the transformations that will matter in the months ahead. From Deborah Jasper, one of the keynote speakers at HCIC at Home, I learned how to stand out in a virtual world. It's more challenging than ever to have big impact on small screens and reach distracted audiences. And from Manly Feinberg, another keynote speaker this year, I learned how to succeed in the unknown by rethinking remote relationships and increasing focus as if I was scaling a mountain peak. Finally, from my friends at Greystone, I learned that it's possible to still put on a killer conference virtually that has an impact and does what every in-person version of the conference has done now for over 20 years. Connect us with our tribe, recharge our batteries, and remind us that we're not the only ones dealing with these same challenges. Go check out the series for yourself. It's worth watching again. Find shift.health on YouTube and view the playlist called Healthcare Digital Marketing Essentials. As you do, you'll see what makes this community so great, both in the good times and even more so in the challenging times. And that's the flavor of the week. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Resilience Journey. This week, our next stop on the journey is with Linda McCracken. Linda is the Senior Principal for Consumer Engagement with Accenture, and she's also on the faculty at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and just a, a friend of the program, I consider. We found so many connections already just in leading up to this conversation. So, Linda, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much, Jared. Jared, I'm so glad that you're having this series on resilience. It's never been more important that at this time in COVID for what we're facing, but also in the dramatic consumer transformation, how people buy, what they want. And of course, it's playing havoc with everybody who's trying to market to the elusive consumer. I agree. And it's funny how many different ways that kind of manifests itself when we, at least in marketing, I've gotten too used to saying consumer in the third person and not thinking of myself as one. And then it makes it hard sometimes to, to realize when I'm talking about a customer journey or you know a sales funnel or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm in there somewhere. So great to you know, have somebody on here who speaks the same language and really sees you're a trend spotter. You see kind of from a high level of what's going on and always with the consumer at the center. And I think those are insights that we'll get into in terms of how do things play into our industry? What's unique about career choices in our field? So we'll definitely get to that. I'd love to start off just just hearing a little bit about reinvention. So some of the reinventions that you've gone through during your career and anything that you want to share with us there, but there's a lot to that can sometimes mean going from client side to agency side or starting something on your own. But a lot of times there, there's some fear built into that or there's just some obstacles to overcome. So mm -hmm. tell us about reinventing your career. Oh my gosh. 
Well, I have a mission that is really my focus in terms of what I want to do for healthcare. And that's been the single thread through all my career reinventions. I started out as a policy health analyst for the state of Minnesota. I pivoted to running a Medicare Advantage program for insurance. I then realized it's time for grad school. And so I became a teacher. And so I was alias starting graduate student. And then I was the hospital exec leader for marketing and business strategy at Five Health Systems. And then I became the $38 million business leader for Thomson Reuters. And then I thought I'm too far from the action and, and the advisor. So the reinvention is definitely playing a lot of different angles for trying to meet my core mission. And I think we come at it from a variety of different areas based on what the industry is doing, who needs us, who needs what we know, and what do we want to do as the next compelling way of contributing to our industry. I love the words already. I'm hearing words like mission and contributing. And that's got to be important. That's got to be a part of how you decide on a reinvention or where it leads. Tell us about that. How do you come up with that mission and how does it lead you in your career path? Well, I really appreciate it. And you're, you're taking the time just to say, how should we be thinking about this is really a gift to the industry. In the very beginning, way back when, grade school, I wanted to be a clinician, but I really didn't have, I wasn't built for a clinician. I was more of an architect building strategy, vision, roadmap, and executing to achieve results. And I really love doing research. So then I thought, ah, I'll be a minister or social worker. Okay. Then I realized I studied that. That wasn't interesting. And then my political science teacher said, why don't you look at health systems and work to improve them? And boom, I got my, my reason why. Simon Sinek has this great book called First Ask Why, Consider the Why. And I, my mission and my passion is how can I make healthcare more con- easy for consumers and caregivers? Healthcare, easier, better for consumers and caregivers. Boom, that's it. And so from that angle, I thought, maybe I'm a policy person. And I tried that, and it was too far from the action. So job hunting, less than a year, I went and worked in an HMO. But the whole focus is that why. And at Accenture, it's actually one of the great things that we ask at the company. We ask people and we ask them in the interview process. We ask them every year. We ask them when we interview them for projects. We say, what do you want to do? And what drives you? Then we say, what are your strengths? And we work with Gallup and the Strengths Finder to find out what people's strengths are because people do much better when they work with areas in which they have strengths. Then we ask them, what are your skills that you have now? And what's your aspiring specialization? So we're working on this growth model. And then we say, so what do you need to train in and learn now? Because Accenture invests enormously in training and skill development. But if we know why we are where we are, then that really helps identify and keeps people very routed. I went through this process with my team, the Clinical Innovation Division, And we ask them why. Why are they here? Why were they in the health clinical innovation world? And it was ironic because they all came out and said, I want to make healthcare simpler. I want to make it better. I want to make it less friction-free. I want to see if we can innovate. And so I felt it was terrific to be in a team of people who were interested in being in the business of making healthcare better for consumers and caregivers. So I heartily think about whenever there is a, well, what's next? I have to think about, well, what's my why? 
And so I really recommend thinking about the why, because out of that will come what's the angle and what can you bring to the marketplace? I don't know, what do you think about the mission? Do you think that's an effective anchor point? Thank you for asking. I think so. I feel kind of a kinship there in in the mission department in terms of a goal of, incre- of improving healthcare. And if that means disrupting it, great. I go through that a lot, that questioning of, like that better not be a long line between what I'm doing every day and that mission, that overall goal of what I, what I hope to be able to leave as a career legacy. I think about mm-hmm. that a lot. And so being able to concisely put it, that speaks volumes to how much thought you've put behind it. And I think you're right. When that's there, you don't have to tell somebody, here's how you need to be motivated. Here's how you need to make decisions because they, you have a North Star. Oh, that's fantastic. Having a North Star lets you start pivoting and changing some of the directions. And especially what I really appreciated about some of your thinking as we were preparing is even if there's a change where somebody has to pivot, even if it's a low point or the organization changes its strategy or they divest a division or they have to take 50% of the cost out or they're outsourcing, then moving past it is really helpful, I think, to say, I still have a core mission and I know. So true. So true. You reminded me of a couple of situations uh, you know, many years ago. But being in healthcare, there are, there are just a lot of organizational changes. And I've been in the medical device world. I've been in a large division of a Fortune 500 medical device manufacturer at a time when they had built up an enormous marketing team. And then one day we walked in and the very next day there were a hundred fewer people in that department. And it happened in a way that even the, the senior leadership wasn't planning on doing, kind of word leaked out in, mm-hmm. in the wrong way. And so all of a sudden they had to decide to do things a little earlier than they wanted to. That was one of those where thankfully I, I survived it, but it was a very different team. And, and so going through those kinds of things it can be hard to separate the part of who you are from things like that that happen that you, at the end of the day, have no control over. You can be you know, a rock star performer and it doesn't matter. That doesn't, that's not going to keep you or shield you from those kinds of things happening. So mm-hmm. I think part of understanding that part of career resilience, for me at least, had to do with just recognizing the parts I can control and the parts I can't. And... The mission, the, coming back to that mission part, that always helps. That makes it really clear of like, there's plenty of stress just with the things that I can control. Mm-hmm. So why worry about the other stuff? Right. No, and I love how you just put that. There are things you can control and there are things you can't control. So I think that's really awesome. It also might help to recognize that, you know, it's a pivot in the organization strategy. So the organization's going in one direction and it's not in another. I have been in touch with some friends and the corporation divested an entire business. They were sure they could make money in one particular business line and it wasn't theirs. So it's not the organization didn't love them. It's not like they didn't bring in tens of millions of dollars. It's just that the strategy pivoted and they had to resource based on what they had. Yeah. In another goal that I had, and you and I met each other through some common networks is that having friends and colleagues and mentors and inspiring people, I think is a huge part of what keeps resilience going so that we can call on the people that we need to know when we start networking. What do you think of that? Oh, a, a million percent, a million percent, yes, on that. There are parts that I just, I wouldn't be in certain places. I definitely wouldn't have the fantastic clients I have, I mean, mm-hmm. genuinely, I mean, I enjoy the work I do. And a lot of it comes from people who have recommended 
or connected me with somebody or first done that, uh, that kind of thing. When things have happened in my career that, that have been a pivot, I can name the names of people still who were the first to call me, the names right. of people who reached out and just said, you know what, I don't even know the situation or, hey, you're doing something different. You know, tell me about the new different thing. Those kinds of things will always stick with me. So yeah, the power of networking, I don't think it can be overestimated. And I think uh, never at any time can that be manifest more than during the low points in their careers when things didn't go according to plan. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear any any low point in your career, just simply, maybe you haven't even thought of it that way, but a time when something hasn't gone according to plan, or you just found yourself in a situation or a place and that you didn't expect to be. And if you can walk us through that and, and tell us you know, how you figured out what to do next. No, that's a great point. Early in my career, I was working for an organization and I found out what they were trying to do is decertify organizations they were working with. And I had such a huge value shock. And I just thought, my values, I can't live like this. I can't work with organizations where it's not collaborative and trustworthy. And I can't believe this. I was so insulted because here I was, a professional, I was going to contribute. But I had to face that I needed to pivot because of the goals that I had. Another time, I had set up some consulting. I was delighted I could go out and work with organizations that were very exciting. And I realized that I'm a parent and my kids are millennials and and Gen Z. But at the time, I had to get off the road. And it was totally clear. I could chart the days that I was at home and the days I wasn't home and how my little guy did. I had to get off the road. And I had to get off the road in the next month because I had to make sure that my kid was okay. And there went consulting. I actually got a blue journal because I was so sad so that I could write my sadness over no longer consulting and having to take a non-travel job. And then at the same time, I thought, who do I know and how else are people that I know and appreciate and admire serving the cause that I like that I could potentially join and be home for my little guy? I was really thrilled then, and that's when I got to go to Thomson Reuters and work on product management, and then move into developing products and running a $38 million business while being home for my little guy. And so it was, all I had to do is go with me. And what I did is I turned to my professional society. I have two professional organizations that are really important to me as a healthcare marketer. One is the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development. And I've been in it my entire career. I recommend it very highly. And they publish interesting things. They have networks. They have people that come together. And when we go to conferences, we're all hugging. Okay, pre-COVID. Then we're virtually hugging, you know, since then. But it has been an inspiration. And there's so many people that cross from provider world to payer world to consulting world to product world. So that's exciting. I'm also in the Forum for Health Strategy. And that's an exciting conference network. So friends, networks are incredibly helpful. And then I work at keeping friends and what I call almost my advisory board about who always has a good balance on things and who are people that I admire and what have they gone through in the transformations of their careers. I'm really big on heroes. My first hero was Florence Nightingale. And so now mine are a little bit more realistic and who does do things when things change or pivot. That's incredibly helpful. So I really love books. And then I love people who have been through what I've been through. And I love networking. 
I also had to look at the meaning of work and happiness. And another book that I love, and I don't want you to think I'm a total bookie, but I am, Sean Acker. And I don't know if you've caught his TED Talk or Simon Sinek's TED Talk. Sean Acker's TED Talk is The Happiness Advantage and Happiness at Work. And he refers to, in his hilarious TED Talk, the reason I get up every day and go to work and get excited. And, you know, I thought that's great because we have to have that come from within. There's another book that I love enormously by Stephen Pollan, who's Michael J. Fox's father-in-law. And he's written a book called Fire Your Boss. And in that book, and I read it at a time where I was thinking, is life about a boss? And his philosophy is, no, your job is about who give you the most money to do what you love to do so you can live your life. Stop thinking it wraps around a boss or an employer and make sure you know why you're in the work you're in. So back to the why. And then he said, what's on your list? So one of the things that becomes important that we'll talk about somewhere in resilience is what has to be on our list. So for me, morally ethical people, I think I heard that from my first disappointment, and then the ability to be the family person that I need to be. So I, you know, I had to get off the road when my, when my kids were little. And so on my list was not travel. So when I went to Thompson Reuters, it was 15% travel. I could do that and parent. And I know that when I first went to Accenture and they were wonderful, I said, well, my, my little guys in his last year of high school, and they said, we'll protect your travel while he's in high school. Isn't that great? So people who understand the whole person is some are things that I see. So in that pivoting, it's what's on our, I would think that what's really important and what's helped me a lot is why do I get up in the morning? Simon Sinek, Sean Acker, and what do I want to make sure that I'm bringing to the table? And Stephen Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N, has a book called Fire Your Boss. And I actually use that book and then Clay Christensen's, you know, The Purpose of My Life. And Clay Christensen is a Harvard Business School professor who's written a lot about customer engagement. And I think he's awesome. He's written about what happens at the, in the end of your days, will you think you didn't spend enough time at the office? So he's written a book. I think he had a health incident and he's written a Harvard Business article and a book. And to say, what's the meaning of your life? And Jared, it's exactly as you said. So I, I really appreciate your bringing it out, which is what's the mission, right? Why are we here? Some of those writers and speakers have helped me say, okay, it's not what I expected, but it is what I'm dealing with now. So what's on my list? What did I learn from this that's on my list? Who are my friends and my network? Because they're always there. At some point, it's how can I do this for somebody else? Because it's happened to me. And I think that just that connecting is one area in which we can really help each other rise up. Oh, what a great thought. I mean, just a way to think about this because so much still does come right back to your mission. And the other piece you just mentioned was, what do I contribute? So why why am I doing this and what do I contribute? Let's dive into that for, for a moment. What if somebody doesn't know how to answer that question of what do I contribute? Or they thought they knew and now they don't. What would you tell a colleague in that situation when they're trying to figure that part out? Right. Well, and anytime a change has happened and someone wasn't expecting it, they're always not a little bit, right? So what I ask them to do is come up with three to five, and, and I do this too with my physician executive students because I'm really honored to work with smart docs who then say, I'm ready for administrative roles. And I say, okay, let's make sure we're packaging the awesomeness of you. And they go, am I awesome? 
So the question, the points that I always suggest to people is come up with your three to five proudest results for every year for the last five years. Now, everybody's got something. They've had an annual report. They've done an annual review. But if they come up with three to five awesome outcomes, there is generally something special. So I'm a quant jock, and I usually say I'd like percentage improvements, either more volume, more profitability. People will be more impressed if you can say I got a 15% market share increase or over two years, we got net promoter score up 10 points and we got a 10% gain in a competitive market. So I'm interested in some of those percentage gains. I have never met or talked to someone where we didn't find amazing things that they had done in their last several years. So even if people are stuck and we're not having this conversation one-to-one, then I would say find a friend. Find a friend who goes, oh, that's really cool. Because we can't do it, we can't necessarily do it alone. And we can't necessarily say what's wonderful about us. We sometimes really need a cheerleader. And that's why we have an important network, right? 100% again, 100 million times that. It's so important. And it's one of those things that when you, you don't realize you need the network until you need it. And sometimes that's, that just, that's a lot of work. It's not impossible. That's just, you really want somebody at, at your fingertips. Somebody you can, you can shoot a, a text to right away or just have somebody to call like right then. Somebody who, who understands the nuances of, of our industry. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, that younger professionals, we, we had Jess Colombo on, on this program a, a couple episodes ago. And one thing I loved is that she basically said, look, younger professionals really put a lot of pressure on themselves to like hit a home run with every with every jump in their career. And they think they've got to just rocket ship up this ladder so fast that they have to do everything right the first time. And, and so it just makes it even harder when something doesn't go the way they plan, or they don't know the 10 steps to get to the place they think they want to get. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious in your, in your interactions with, with younger professionals, what do you tell them? Like how did, you know, where do they struggle the most and how do you help them overcome those career struggles as they're, they're starting at the beginning of this path and they're looking at it, it either just feels really daunting. It feels like a weight at the same time they're excited for what they can do, but maybe mm-hmm. they just, they just don't know. So where do they struggle right now and how do you help them start to get through that? That's a great question. Thank you for making that observation because most of our workforce are millennials now, right? So let's face it. And that's more than 50% of our Accenture workforce We are so fortunate to work with so many talented people. But with that talent comes um, pressure and am I doing okay? So when I talk with people who are somewhat dispirited, first we start saying, hey, what's your favorite projects that you've done before? And that's even at the get-go in the interview process. What are your favorite projects? Why did you like it? What did you do? What are some of your favorite topics or studies that you've had? It's not necessarily in your major because we really love that. I had somebody who's in marketing and he said, I learned French and his enthusiasm at learning something that he had no competence at was so infectious. I thought he's going to be great at learning. And I said, wow, you have a passion for learning. And then again, life at Accenture, we have Gallup Finder. So when I start working with a team, I ask each of them to identify their strengths you know, I had a margin improvement project and I had a number of the quantitative folks. I thought, oh, they're going to be analytic. No, they were very harmony focused. And so when they started taking over some of the team oriented activities, they were really happy. And in fact, actually their work even went faster, better because they were happy in the areas in which they were strong. 
So I always try to find what are your find out have them identify what their strengths are, pair them with work that let them celebrate their strengths, and then compliment them on what they're really good at. Because I think sometimes the world of feedback is all about the negatives, and I want to make sure people know where their superpowers are. Because everybody has superpowers. Oh, thank you for pointing that part out. It's too easy to to be blind to that. It's so easy. I I've come across a lot of folks who who are scared to. I don't know if scares are right the right word. I think they just felt a little paralyzed because they knew if they in, in their mind at least they see what happens when you take one step out of out of the path. And people just rip on you and haters going to hate, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and they just think if I do one thing wrong, look at all the all the negative attention I'm going to get. And then I don't even know how to get through that. So there's a learning process of being able to understand negative feedback, flip it to be constructive, understand what people are actually saying underneath a criticism. But then when to say, look, that that's a criticism that wasn't even warranted at all. That doesn't apply here. I'm not even going to pay attention to that one. That's an art in and of itself, it feels like. So, so it just feels like another component. And it's something that if we don't think about it, if we don't recognize it, then we're not going to realize some of the work that we can do there to improve. And ultimately, if you don't feel paralyzed, if you feel like there's some flexibility here, there's some room for failure. In fact, I should be encouraged to fail in certain ways, then, then we're going to grow a lot differently. And, and it just feels like that's a way to accelerate this and, and help us uh, start pushing through places otherwise that we've been stuck. I think that's a great point. Well, so, you know, when people give feedback, they care in some way. So if we think that the intent is pure and we say, thank you very much, then the person giving the negative feedback will feel like they got heard. That's important. Then they can always go and process that with someone else and say, how do I interpret this? What can I learn from? And what will I do better? So at Accenture, we have mentors. We also have career counselors. We don't call them bosses. We call them career counselors. If there's something that comes up, then people say, well, talk it over with your career counselor and see how, because the concept is everyone has their own career that they have to manage at the firm. And so they can take the feedback from a particular project or an interaction and then say, how does this seem? The other thing that I think is helpful is it's great to get, and Fire Your Boss has this, a board of advisors, people who are willing to talk with you and listen to reflections and comment on how you're doing, what this seems like. So even just having a conversation of, hey, have you ever noticed that sometimes this happens to me or these kinds of conversations come up with this kind of person? And having a network is so powerful. So a lot of associations are happy to work with mentors, finding peers, joining local associations. It's incredibly invaluable because it's a safe place, right? It's not work. It's not one's employer. For sure. For sure. What a cool way to to think about some of the parts that are important to this journey. And Linda, as we start to kind of wrap up, I want to give you a last take here. And Anything that we haven't mentioned yet, just anything else you'd want to share with with anyone who's going through an unexpected job change. They just feel like they're their career plan has been derailed. It's 2020, you know, so right. they may have they may have started going one direction and it, it hasn't gone the way they thought, or they're just not feeling fulfilled the way they want to with their work. So any final mm-hmm. words for anyone in those situations? Sure. Pivot. Be prepared to pivot because we're seeing job people stay in jobs for shorter and shorter periods of time. You know, it's been a long time since the, you know, people were career um, established. 
And the word out with to the Gen Xer and Boomers is millennials will change jobs every one or two years. So if someone's job changes for reasons they didn't pick, say, what can I learn? And then move into the five questions that I hope that will make sure people remember what, who they are. I mean, I know it sounds like the Lion King, but what's the why? What are you most excited about when you get up in the morning? And go watch Sean Acker's TED Talk because you'll remember why you get up in the morning. Two, what are your strengths? Because if you take that strengths finder, you'll find five strengths that are brilliant, fabulous about you. And then remember what you do to make those strengths shine. Third, Stephen Allen, fire your boss. What's on your jobs must have list? Maybe it was, again, when I was a young parent, I needed to stay home, being off the road. Maybe it's, I need insurance. Maybe I don't need insurance. Four, who needs what you know? I was talking to a freelance marketer and he said, the lawyers need me. They need a, um, an opinion advisor in the court of law and the court of public opinion. So it's a whole new business line because lawyers need what that marketer knew. And then the fifth, who are your friends, mentors, advisors, and teachers? I know that's four. It's, it's a long one. Friends, mentors, advisors, and teachers because they're there for you. And one may not know. So pivot from what the organization did to the five things that let you get on your course so that you can pivot because it happens to everyone. And maybe this is just your first time. All right. I'm going to remember those. <laughs> what, what a great way to genuinely, a great way to, to summarize some actionable steps at the end of all of this on top of the conversation. Um, leaving with some actionable steps here. Linda, it's, it's been fabulous. It's, it's been so fun to share this with you too, to think through some of these times in both of our careers and to realize what that North Star could be, you know, the importance of it, to think about the importance of our mission and to figure out what do we contribute if we're not sure. I've appreciated the time so much. Uh, I just wish you all the best. I want to want to say stay safe, stay safe, stay well, and look forward to just keeping in touch and hearing more about all the, uh, the fantastic things that are going on with you in your career. Well, thank you, Jared. And thank you for your mission and keeping us all smarter and better as we go through the career journeys that we have in front of us. Hey, thanks so much to Linda and thank you for listening. I hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please go tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way healthcare is experienced. So until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.